And if you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians, and we'll be there right at the beginning, Philippians chapter 1. And uh, as you're headed there, this is just, uh, I guess, a little bit of the background about Philippians. So church at Philippi, Paul writing a letter there. It's really what, what would be kind of the first quote-unquote, Jesus community. So community of believers that follow after Jesus. And so that Paul really started in Eastern Europe. So this is early, and you can look at that in like Acts 16. There's already been, let me be clear about that, there's already been Jesus community, but this is really the first in what we now know as uh, Eastern Europe. And so it's a Roman colony filled with retired soldiers and known for its national patriotism. Like they, uh, yeah, they, the, the people there, not necessarily the church, but the people there love where they're from, who they are. And in Philippi in particular, there was a lot of persecution. There's persecution now today, certainly. Uh, there's lots of persecution in the early church. But in, in Philippi in particular, uh, there seemed to be this just exorbitant amount. Um, that, that plays into, when we start to hear what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, it starts to make a little bit more sense if you know what they're going through, the, the type of potential pain, agony, physical uh, pain for them that they're going through. And so because of this, this book offers, this letter offers a unique window or picture into Paul's heart as he describes his own life as even a reenactment of the life of Christ. He expresses Jesus's love and presence, providing hope and humility for the church, and how knowing Jesus is both personal and transformative. This is all found in these four short chapters. I was telling somebody earlier, I know we have joked a little bit about how long it takes me to get through a book uh, of the Bible at different times. So with Romans, we've been in Romans as a staff for quite a while. But when I took the staff at Park Place through Philippians, just four chapters, it took me uh, just over two years. Uh, and so I hope you guys are ready today. Uh, no, um, I was, I was thinking about, in some ways, I could have I closed my eyes, pointed to any passage in Philippians and preached, and we would have seen the gospel and seen Christ. Uh, Paul's work to the, the church at Philippi is so personal and means so much particularly to them that his, again, just the, the way he seemed to write, um, it seems a little different for me in Philippians. In fact, he has this just poetic, in chapter two, you don't have to turn there, but there's this explanation of Christ. I want you, to, I want you to hear it. It says, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You can imagine why I was so tempted to preach this, that text. This is just who Christ is. Talking about seeing Christ. This is an explanation of Christ. Why wouldn't you just go to the text that tells us that? As I was studying and pondering, uh, it says the Lord wouldn't let me go out of chapter one. So that's where we'll spend the bulk of our time today. This chapter in which Paul seems to be answering a question from his friends who are worried about him while he is imprisoned. So let's, let's read together chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, and that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Okay. This, what all is this saying? 
right? There's, there's a lot. He keeps using the phrase gospel, and he talks about Christ, and he talks about living and dying for the sake of Christ. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to live a certain way. What does this text then remind us about in, in regards to our role in the gospel? First, first reminder is gospel advancement. Gospel advancement. Really, we should do, this is what we're gonna see in this, that we should do whatever it takes to move the gospel forward. This is our job. So I want you to hear this. This is kind of the first point of the day. If you are a follower of Christ, your task is to advance the gospel. Move the gospel forward. This is your job, my job. In fact, I look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's why I chose that word, gospel advancement, because, because the text says the, what's happened to me has served. What's he talking about? Do you remember him going to prison? This isn't like a happy thing. Hey, you know what? Me being healed has served to advance the gospel. Me getting that new job that I was praying for served to answer, uh, to advance the gospel. Me getting out of prison has served to advance the gospel. Nobody's saying is me experiencing the really dark time. Me walking through this deep, dark valley. Me going to prison, being locked up for something that arguably isn't even wrong me going guilt-free to prison serves to advance the gospel. What if, what if what you're going through, whatever it is, what if its intent is to advance the gospel? What if that heartache, what if you shifted lens in your glasses? You're not just going through the heartache, right? I think about those dads who, who talk about like when you like, uh, fall down, it's like toughen up, it's like it teaches you to stand up again, right? When you go through, uh, when the air is out on the van on the way to Memphis, which I don't think it is for those of you who are going to Memphis, but like when that happens and it's really hot and you're like, oh, it'll build character. How many dads have ever said like, oh, it's gonna build character, right? Those kind of things, exactly. This, what, if, what if the hardship you're going through isn't just to build your character? I think that's what we think about it so often that, oh, what is God trying to teach me in this moment? And it's quite possible that the Lord has lots to teach you in whatever heartache or tragedy you're going through. But what if, what if that heartache or tragedy isn't necessarily to build your character or to teach you something, but instead it's designed to advance the very glorious gospel that's life-changing for somebody else? What if, what if that's the whole point? So because of this, I would tell you that gospel advancement needs from us to declare with great confidence. This is why, look at, look at verse 14. For most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Think about this. Here's what Paul's saying. There are other brothers not in prison. But because I'm in prison still sharing the gospel, there are people outside of prison feeling a freedom to share the gospel because what they realize is it, it's okay if they go to prison for sharing the gospel. Like if, if I'm the first example, okay. Can you think about, I mean, I do. I think about people who, like, maybe you going through cancer advances the gospel and maybe somebody else can say, okay, when I get that bad report, doesn't mean that it's easy, doesn't mean that everything's just hunky-dory, so to speak, it, but it might mean I can go through it too. I can, I can hear that we're not able to have children. I can hear that my, my mom and dad are gonna get a divorce. I can hear that I'm not getting the job promotion. I can hear whatever that thing is because there's somebody else maybe even that has walked this road, that has gone through heartache and hardship and difficulty. So now I can declare with great confidence. In who? Confidence in the Lord. It's one of the things I think we find in the church. Did you know that Christianity is not designed to be done alone? You're... You're not called to do the Christian life all by yourself. I, I believe, in fact, that part of the reason that we gather together, not just in a large room, but that we gather together in life group, so that we can walk through life together and say, like, I'm with you. I hear your heartache and your hardship, and, and I'm going through that too, and we can we can link arms together and say we're in this together so we can declare with great confidence and you can hear each other saying these words. So we don't just declare it with great confidence, we defend it in great love. Right? Paul's talking about those who don't all speak the truth for righteous gain but do it really for their own gain, their own purpose. But what he says is that the latter, so look at verse 16, the latter do it out of love, that there are those who preach Christ from goodwill and they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, defending in great love. In just a minute, we're gonna talk about uh, living a life that is honoring to Christ. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I wanna make something very clear. The work of gospel advancement takes words. It, it takes you speaking truth. Even just this week at kids camp, we had a time where it was mostly counselors uh, being kind of, sharing from their heart times in which God had answered a prayer with a yes or God had answered a prayer with a no or God had answered a prayer with a not now, like a wait. And so 
several different counselors got up and shared that. And one shared uh, about a situation in their life. And they, they read a passage of scripture that reminded them and reminded all of us that for people to turn to Christ, the gospel must be preached. Right? This is Romans chapter 10. It says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes on to say that how can they hear? How can they call on one, right? All of that. How can they call on one unless they've heard the gospel? And how can someone go unless they've been sent? And so I need you to understand this, that we're about to talk about living a life that's honoring to Christ. We're about to talk about gospel living. We're about to say that you're supposed to, your life should reflect the, a manner worthy of the gospel. No question. But I need you to catch this. The, your neighbor will, doesn't have a chance to know Christ if they're not told the gospel. There's, there's people all over the world. We, we talk about them, and I realize that when, you, when I say numbers like 3 billion people and over 7,000 people groups who have no access to the gospel, that, that, is, that that's so large of a number that we think, like, oh, they're, they're somewhere else, and they, they're detached. I need you to hear this. They can't go to heaven because they don't know the gospel. And you living just a good life here in Mississippi isn't going to take them the gospel. And, and that's not just for those who are unreached. It is for them. But it's also for your classmate and your coworker and your teammate. You just not cussing on the baseball field and you not cheating on the test and you not lying to get an advancement at work are all righteous good things but none of those things bring salvation to the lost so please hear this when we describe gospel advancement it takes you and I talking Speaking the truth of the gospel. That, that Jesus died on the cross. The Son of God came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross so that you and I, because of our sin, would have a, a, a atonement, a payment for our sin, what we've done wrong against God. These type of words, and the only way that we can get that gift is by placing our faith and trust, repenting of our sin and trusting in Christ. That is an explanation of the gospel that has to be said, and you have to say it. Let's be a people that declare with great confidence and defend with great love that we speak often of the truth of God so that the gospel can advance. So when Certainly, when we think of this text and what it reminds us in our role in the gospel, we think of gospel advancement, but we also think of gospel living. I kept saying we're going to get there. We're going to talk about this. Well, now how our lives should reflect the gospel in both word and in deed. So look at verse 27, right? Let your manner of life, the way of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So that whether I come and see you or am absent from you, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel. Right? Let the way you live, manner of life, be worthy of the gospel. What does that mean? It sure does sound like it means that in everything that you do, let it be a reflection of the gospel. Because if we're going to do this gospel advancement work, if we're gonna talk the talk, what comes next? Walking the walk, right? You wanna talk the talk, that's great. But, but listen, listen to me, these both have to happen for great effectiveness, right? You can talk the talk, you can talk about the gospel, but then when your life doesn't look anything like you've been changed, you're, you, don't, you go to the places where everybody else goes, you watch everything that everybody else watches, you listen to everything that everybody else listens to, you say the same jokes, you laugh at the same jokes, you cheat the same way they do, you lie the same way they do, your mouth sounds like their mouth, then, then nothing about this seems very true to them. Right? So, so talking the talk is necessary. Hear me. I've, I've just spent a lot of time on that. Talking the talk is necessary. But walking the walk is also necessary. These go hand in hand. And so what does it look like to walk that out? I would say part of that is speaking for his glory. You say, wow, you just spent a whole thing talking about talking. I like to talk. That's what it is. Look at verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. Look at verse 25, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. So we want to speak the glory of God. We want to talk about the goodness of God, the righteousness of Christ, the perfections of just earlier when, when Barbara was even explaining kids camp, she gave a bunch of exclamatory words, she said, right? And, and then she said, but instead of just using those words about camp, I want to use those words about God. What God did at camp, God was awesome and amazing. He did marvelous works. Right? This is what we are to do. When, when, we, when people ask us questions, not just about how our week was at kids camp, but just generally how our week was, or how, how's your life group going? How's your job going? How's your family? How are your kids? We don't just say, oh man, they're good. Everybody's healthy, everybody's fine. Job's good, just got a raise, everything's good. No, no, no. We use these opportunities to speak God's glory. And we say, praise God, our kids are healthy. And God has kept them that way. God's protected us and God's guarded us. And guarded. God is showing us new ways to make his name known. Isn't it awesome? I'm thankful for a job that provides and God who's provided a job for me. We, we point back with our words back to God over and over and over. So we speak for his glory and we stand for his name. 
Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. It is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Catch this. When he says standing firm, do you remember what I, how I described the place of Philippi early? That they are receiving a lot of persecution, right? So he's saying to them, when you speak for the glory of God, ex, like stand firm in that, even during persecution. Hey church, I'm in prison right now. I need you to hear this, that stand firm anyway. Prison might be coming your way. Stand firm anyway. Colonial Heights, I don't, I'm not in prison. And I, I don't know the future. I can't tell you what type of persecution might be coming our way. But I do want you to know this that we want to be a people, that whether we are here in America, in Mississippi, or on the other side of the world, that we want to be a people, that we will speak for the glory of God, no matter what the cost. That we will say we will stand firm and win. When spears come our way, we will stand firm. And if burning at the stake comes our way, we will stand firm. And if mockery and losing a job comes our way, we will stand firm. Not standing firm alone. Catch that standing firm in one spirit with one mind. You don't have to do this alone. I'm, I'm looking out at a congregation right now that has people in it that have currently said to us as a church, we plan to go to the other side of the world. We, we we're in, they're in training right now to serve somewhere else. And I think about, think about Paul, think about the, the letters that I might one day write to these brothers and sisters. It, it might be an email now. I think about saying to them, we're standing with you side by side. For the faith of the gospel. <laughs> that we're, we're with you, even if we're not with you. So stand for his name. So we speak for his glory, we stand for his name. Get ready, because we suffer for his sake. Verse 29, 
for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This is the expectation. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how many of us got that when we first heard the gospel. When you first heard the gospel, the likelihood is what was uh, offered to you was the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's what you get. You're gonna get this, and all of that is true. Maybe what was offered to you was heaven, not hell. Hey, this is what you're going to get. And by the way, totally true. But did you know when you said yes to Jesus that you were saying yes to suffering for his sake? And some of you here, you're not believers. And you're like, I do not want to sign up for that. You're, you're thinking, why would I sign up for pain and agony? I got pain and agony on my own. I don't, I don't need more heartache, more suffering, more hardship. No, no, I need you to catch this. This is so significant. Because what's happening in this suffering is that gospel living leads to gospel dying. So, so it's not that the suffering, that we don't get love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not that we don't get heaven. It's that we get all of that amidst our suffering. It's that we look like Paul did. We can say that our death should bring confidence in Christ instead of fear of condemnation. So this is why Paul can say, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but with full courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in my life or by my death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I have written out next to this, I want to say this and mean it. I want, I want to mean that. that. That living I do for the glory of Christ's name and dying whenever that comes that I will do that for the glory of Christ's name. Maybe that's even a question. How do I die for the purpose of the gospel? Right? Isn't that just for martyrs? Like those that are actually killed because they proclaim? Like is that, how else is that work? I think that Paul answers this for us later in Philippians. The first thing that I want you to see is that in gospel dying, we know Christ and his power over death. Chapter three, verse 10 and 11, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When we suffer, whatever suffering looks like, whenever that's happening, you can know that Christ suffered. 
even when you're dying, you can know that Jesus died and that he conquered death. This isn't just that we're going through the hard part with him. It's that we get to the other side of death with him. That when he, when he resurrected from the dead, he makes way for us to be resurrected from the dead. We have victory over the grave because Christ conquered it. This is how, it's not, doesn't mean that we have to be martyrs for our faith. We have to lose our life because we've proclaimed the gospel. It doesn't mean we have to, to do that. It means that when we die, we know Christ and we know that he has conquered all the suffering and all the heartache and all the death that we are experiencing. So we know Christ. So those of you who are in the room that are, that are thinking, I don't want the suffering. I don't want the death. I just want the heaven and the fruit of the spirit. I just want the joy and the happiness. And why can't you just sell me that? You would be missing the, the good part. All of that is as good as it is because we suffer with Christ because we go to our deathbed with him. So gospel dying includes knowing Christ and his power over death and includes knowing Christians and their example until death. Look at verse 17 of chapter three. He says, brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I'm not quite as prolific of a reader as many of you. I do like it. I don't do it quite enough. I don't discipline myself as much as I ought. But I think about men women that I have read about. Think about William Tyndale, who translated scripture, was burned alive because he translated scripture. Jim Elliot, who died at the end of a spear, attempting to share the gospel with the people of Ecuador. I think that we should be a people that read biographies missionaries like Adoniram and Ann Judson who Adoniram himself lost three, four, five children at birth was widowed three times all on the mission field I think of John Payton I think of more modern biographies and book called Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. I think of pastors that we should study, guys like Peter Marshall and Charles Spurgeon. I think of Thomas Johnson, the former slave who was turned a pastor, who became best friends with Charles Spurgeon. I think about their story. I think about some of you. Who it would be good for us to say, look to each other and imitate 
one another. Gospel dying is going to your death without fear. Going to death with confidence in Christ instead of fear of condemnation. So, again, for those of you who are here today who've never turned away from their sin and trusted in Jesus, let me tell you that it's worth it. A heartache, suffering, hardship, whatever it is, it's worth it. So today, trust in Jesus. Right where you are, call upon him for salvation. Believe in him. And he will, he will give you all of himself. And he will give you all of eternity with him. And you can know and rest that no matter what comes your way, it is well with your soul. And for those who are followers of Christ, don't let this be a, a, a sermon or message that allows you to just rest on your laurels, right? Where you just sit back and, and take it in and think, well, the suffering's okay, I'll just go to my deathbed. No, 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 go back to the beginning and remember that the reason we go with such confidence to our death is because we've lived a life and we've spoken truth to those around us. So may it is well with my soul be spoken to those who are lost around us. In word and in deed, may we proclaim this truth until our dying breath. During this next time of singing, I, I want to ask you to sing. I want to invite you if, you, if you know Christ this way, Tell him, you have made it well with my soul. And if you're not, right now, trust in him. Maybe you need help with that. Maybe there's questions you've got to ask. There will be some here to my left that would love, in this room, that would love to talk with you, answer questions. Even after the service, you can make your way there and they would love to talk with you further. But right now, let us all proclaim that it is well with my soul. Do you stand with me as we sing?